Right now, let's check in with Kyle Howe, an air quality analyst for Metro Vancouver. We're going to talk about that air quality advisory. Kyle, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we have another heat wave. I know Metro Vancouver issued several advisories yesterday when it comes to air quality. What are we looking at as far as in Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley and the air quality right now? So Metro Vancouver issued an air quality advisory yesterday for fine particulate matter that encompasses all of Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley Regional District. And we also have an advisory in place for ground level ozone for eastern Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley Regional District. Um, We've seen pretty significant wildfire smoke come into the region starting yesterday morning, uh, and that has continued today. So uh, we're advising people to, you know, keep their eyes on things and, and take it easy. And when we look at what's happening, I know a lot of people, especially in Metro Vancouver, really noticed today, uh, well, in the evening yesterday and this morning, I think when people woke up, really noticed an increase in the smoke. Do we know where exactly all the smoke is coming from? So as part of this heat wave, we've had outflow winds, which are pushing smoke from fires that are burning in the interior of B.C. and Washington state into our region. Uh, People in the eastern Fraser Valley have been under very significant smoke since yesterday morning. Um, But you're right that today um, more, more people in Metro Vancouver are starting to experience that at ground level. And when you talk about those two different issues, uh, the fine particulate matter in the air because of the smoke, as well as the ground level ozone, is it odd to to have those two together or is is it pretty normal when we're talking about air quality in the summer months? So it can be a challenge to figure out uh, sort of when when ozone may be formed and and how it uh, relates to fine particulate matter. In this situation, because um, we've had such hot temperatures and uh, especially out in the valley, uh, ground level ozone does become a concern under those conditions. And we also know that uh, sometimes fine particulate matter from smoke can uh, help to enhance the amount of ozone that is produced. So that's why we have that advisory in place, uh, because the conditions are there for the potential to, to have ground level ozone formation. And does it depend on, I guess, if you're, if you're immunocompromised or if you're more sensitive to the air quality, is, is one worse than the other as far as should we be more worried about particulate matter or ground level ozone or, or, or are they both? And that's why the, the warning is about them both. So I think everybody should should take precautions uh, under under the current advisory for both the, the smoke that we're seeing and the ground level ozone. On top of that, we also have the heat in place as well. So it's really important that everyone um, take precautions, and that would include things like staying hydrated, seeking out cool air-conditioned spaces that have filtration, and then those that are uh, most at risk, so people with underlying conditions like heart or lung disease, asthma, COPD, the elderly and the young, um, should take extra care. And really, if people are experiencing symptoms and and they're getting worse, um, it's important that they seek out medical attention. And I would imagine that similar to the warnings that we have about people, if you're experiencing symptoms of heat stroke, again, don't wait for it to get too long to take it seriously. That's right. With with air quality, you know, if you are experiencing symptoms, um, especially if you're in one of those higher risk groups, we do encourage you to seek out medical attention uh, if, if those symptoms are occurring. Are there ways to clean the air as far as air filters or different things in your home? Are there ways that you can at least try and make the air coming into your home uh, cleaner and and to get the particulate out of it? 
Yeah, there certainly are. And I would direct people to look at the BC Centers for Disease Control. They have a number of fact sheets that discuss some of the things that you can do within your home to reduce your exposure. Uh, but that would include using air filtration devices, making sure that your windows are closed. Um, and if you're not able to do that in your own home, uh, seeking out shelter in a place that does have that type of uh, system in place. So some of the cooling centers and things like that where filtration is occurring. Uh, but again, I think you can find a lot of that information through the BC CDC website. All right. And as far as what we're dealing with, I know for a lot of people, uh, this is not what they were hoping for. Uh, talking about the third heat wave that we've really had in this season. Is it unusual to have this number of both heat waves and air quality advisories? So for air quality, I think, you know, this year has now been the fifth out of the last seven years that we've had very significant wildfire smoke in our region. In general, air quality is really good in Metro Vancouver, but we do have these uh, somewhat short-term events that that uh, really cause air quality to get worse. And so uh, for Metro Vancouver's side, you know, we're, we're looking very seriously at this and, and, you know, looking at how the changing climate may impact the future of air quality in our region. Um, but yeah, certainly in the last seven years, we've experienced a number of very uh, poor summer days as a result of wildfires burning across uh, the West. And at this point, I'm guessing that it all depends on the wildfire activity, if they grow, if more fires start, as far as how long these advisories will be in place? That's right. It's a combination of both weather conditions and also fire behavior. So smoke will be variable across the region, um, So and it can change quickly. And really what we're looking for is a change in the weather conditions to help move smoke out of our region. But it's also important to recognize that uh, there currently are a number of fires burning across B.C., Washington, Oregon and California and that we are still in the summer months. Uh, So it is not out of the question that uh, there could be, um, you know, additional times uh, during the summer that we experience wildfire smoke. I've seen a number of people posting photos today of vehicles or outdoor furniture that has ash on it that's fallen, that's been carried because of the wildfires. Is that an additional concern as well? From air quality side of things, the the thing that we focus on really is the fine particulate matter. Um, I think the ash that that people are seeing is a much coarser, larger particle. Uh, The fine particulate matter is really the thing that can Um, enter deep into your respiratory system and cause health concerns. And that's what uh, the advisory is in place for. So we we certainly encourage people to to watch that uh, information. You can get those numbers uh, in real time from our website at airmap.ca to check your local conditions. Um, But it's really important to to look at the, the fine particulate matter concentrations. All right. Kyle Howe, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, as you likely heard in the news, the entire community of Logan Lake in the southern interior was told last night or yesterday afternoon to evacuate. That was because of the immediate danger of a nearby wildfire. The order affects about 2,000 residents. They had been on evacuation alert. But one of the big issues for people who didn't have friends or family to go stay with is that there were no nearby accommodations. And that means a lot of people went to Chilliwack, which is more more than two hours away. Well, joining me now is the mayor of Chilliwack, Ken Popov, to talk a bit more about this and what's happening in Chilliwack. Thanks so much for being with us. You're more than welcome, and, and good afternoon from really smoky Chilliwack. I, yeah, I can imagine. I was looking in that direction yesterday, and it's pretty smoky 
compared to what it was like in Metro Vancouver earlier, but I think not nearly as bad as it is where you are. Um, how are things going as far as people that have had to leave their homes in Logan Lake and coming to Chilliwack? Well, it's it's been going great. I, you know, I kind of hesitate to use that word, you know, with this this uh, issue that we're dealing with. But we we housed about seventy people as of last night, and this morning there's an extra twenty five that have actually registered. Everybody has been uh, lodged. Uh, there was some anecdotal conversation about folks sleeping in cars. That is simply not true. So we do have the space here to house these folks. Well, that is good news. I guess a bit of a silver lining, if you can call it that, given that with tourism still not anywhere near where it would normally be, uh, given the pandemic, there were probably more hotel rooms and more accommodations available. That's exactly right, Jill. Yeah, you're right. And and we could take, uh, you know, actually easily 120 more folks. We have the uh, uh, Chilliwack Chiefs. It's our hockey team here in town, and our Coliseum um, has has been set up. 120 cots in their secondary uh, um, rink that hasn't got ice in it right now. So, um, if if it comes to a need, we can certainly take care of folks here. Because I would imagine, given the state of wildfires and the potential of more evacuations, you could see more people coming from other parts of the province. Yeah, that is absolutely correct as well. Uh, we, you know, we certainly hope that isn't the case, but but we are prepared uh, here in Chilliwack with our our uh, lodging, um, you know, strategy that we have put into place. But uh, um, I want to thank all the volunteers that have stepped up to to register these folks and 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 to show them around the city and 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 to uh, you know show them t- you know to their lodging places that they will be staying for a a short period of time. Uh, There's always, well, not always, but we often see footage and pictures of animals and pets that are also part of families. Do you know, has there been any issues as far as if people had to evacuate with their pets, making sure that they got pet-friendly accommodation? Absolutely. They're welcome to bring their dogs or cats or, or whatever they have. We're all set up for that as well. So that is not an issue. Um, uh, you know, as far as livestock, we haven't been asked yet, but we can certainly accommodate that at our heritage park. Uh, so if that ask does come from EMBC, we will support that ask as well. What do people need to do or what was the process then as far as uh, being two hours or a bit more than two hours away, uh, packing up and getting to Chilliwack or knowing that uh, when you get there, there is a space? Um, the, the, the ask is is to show up at our Chilliwack Senior Secondary School. That's on Yale Road here in Chilliwack. It's a main, you know, like a main artery here, and and get registered in, and then from there, um, the folks we will uh, find you the accommodation that is necessary for, you know, if you're a single, a couple, a family, what have you. But they will look after you from that point on. All right. So that's great. Like you said, hard, weird using that word because we're talking about a very serious situation, but on the very bright side that there are places for people to go. Uh, you mentioned the smoke. How are things going there as far as air quality? No, oh, it's terrible today. Um, our outside crews are are currently wearing masks. There's ash on every vehicle that's in a parking lot. Yeah, I've never seen it so bad in my days. It's uh, yeah, It's really sucked in here. It's kind of I, you know, it, it's almost unreal what I'm seeing here. You know, like I'm looking out my office window here and you can barely see the vehicles coming towards me here. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the worst days that I've seen. 
which and and that that says something given that we have seen in the past during the wildfire season and during times when we have air quality advisories the Fraser Valley does often it does often sock in there more than other areas so that is saying something if, if you're saying that you haven't seen it this bad before Absolutely. Our, our uh, land base here is, you know, surrounded by mountains and, and it's, you know, like up to hope. So it's kind of like a saddle in here. It just sits in here until the wind picks up and moves it along. But uh, that easterly flow is uh, certainly not helping our air quality situation one bit. So we're really looking forward to some rain that's in the forecast coming up, and that should clear the air. But, uh, yeah, so we're telling people if you if you don't need to be outside, please don't be outside. Uh, um, you know, stay indoors, you know, you know, especially the elderly folks. Um, but we are working on, on on all angles here to keep people safe with cooling stations set up and that sort of thing as well. That's good to hear as well. What about the fire danger? Like you said, in a bit of a, a valley, I know there are lots of wooded areas and forests around there. Are there concerns as well for the area of Chilliwack as far as wildfires? Well, absolutely. There was a couple of fires up, up Chilliwack Lake Road this morning that the uh, um, folks from the fire department have extinguished already. So, yeah, we are surrounded by forests. Um so far, it's been it's been okay, but uh, um, you know we are prepared for the worst, and and we certainly hope it doesn't come our way. Uh, yeah, because this would also be a time of year uh, too when people would be in that area, whether they're coming there to go camping or fishing nearby, and really coming there to enjoy the outdoors. That's right. You know, with, with the campfire ban still in effect, um, you know, talking to our bylaw team, there are still people that just don't seem to get it and they've had to issue tickets for people that have open fires like you know come on people it's it's uh, um uh, it's it's a terrible time to be doing these kind of things and you know like a little ember could just get a whole you know forest going alongside the highway i've seen a couple spots where obviously a cigarette butt's been tossed out of a car it's just use your common sense please people yeah, especially, I mean, anytime it's not cool to do that, but you're right. I can't imagine the mindset of somebody that thinks it's okay to toss a cigarette butt out in these kinds of temperatures. Yeah, well, you can't fix stupid, unfortunately. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is very, true. very true. Um, anything else you want people to know as far as the evacuees and what they need to know or anything else in Chilliwack right now? Just to get yourself registered so we know that you're here. And, uh, you know, if you do have family, uh, you, you know, in the Valley, you know, it's probably better to stay with family if, you know, if possible. But uh, if that's not uh, in the cards, we will look after you here in Chilliwack. Absolutely. All right. We'll leave it there. Mayor Ken Popov, thanks so much for joining us to talk about this today. Thanks, Jill. Well, the United Nations Refugee Agency says a major offensive by Taliban militants has created a humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. UN spokeswoman Shabia Mantu says hundreds of thousands of civilians are in danger. We are particularly worried about the impact of the conflict on women and girls. Some 80% of nearly a quarter of a million Afghans forced to flee since the end of May are women and children. Talking more about this, we are now joined by retired Major General Dennis Thompson. He is a retired Major General with the Canadian Armed Forces, former NATO commander of Task Force Kandahar, and current research fellow for the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Thank you so much for being with us today. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. With your vast knowledge of Afghanistan and what has happened there in the past several years, what are your thoughts on what is happening there right now? Well, I think the first thing, it's important to state that uh, the news is quite alarming, that's for sure, and it's certainly uh, developed in a very rapid pace. But removing the government from its position in uh, in major cities, whether that's Kandahar or Herat, is not the same thing as taking control of the, of the government or taking control of the area. It's more akin to anarchy. And it's a recipe for continued conflict in Afghanistan and eventually civil war, which is unfortunate. How did we get to this point so quickly with the withdrawal of U.S. troops, knowing that that was coming? Should we not have known that there was the potential for this to happen? Well, I think the important thing here is to understand that the Afghan soldier on an individual level is quite tenacious and very hardy. And in my experience, brave to the to the extreme, brave to the point of being foolhardy. But the leadership at the institutional level, is weak in Afghanistan. So whilst we were on the ground, many things were provided to these brave Afghan soldiers, whether that was uh, basic logistics like water and rations or uh, air support or helicopter support or enablers that would be provided by unmanned aerial aerial vehicles. Uh, When the institution, which uh, perhaps wasn't developed to the extent it should have, uh, took over the Afghan institution, its weakness came to the fore, that leadership is missing, and then that directly affects the morale of the soldiers on the ground. So I think what we're seeing is a rapid collapse due to institutional weakness rather than a lack of will on behalf of individual Afghan soldiers. And certainly the soldiers we worked with in Kandahar province were tough, tough, tough individuals. What do you think Canada should be doing, or should it be doing more at this point? Well, I mean, that's a policy decision. Um, I think the policy that the government is currently following to to uh, help bring to Canada those Afghan personnel that worked with Canada, because it will obviously be threatened by the Taliban once the Taliban take control, is the right policy decision to make. And it needs to be executed now in a very accelerated fashion to ensure that these uh, well-deserving people get out of the country Uh, before the Taliban get their hands on them, because if they do, the consequences will be fatal. Make no mistake, they'll kill them, and they'll kill members of their family. uh, They have absolutely no remorse. Um, we There was a, a Global News report yesterday saying uh, that the Global News had learned that a number of Afghans who worked for Canada and their families are currently inside a Canadian compound. They are hoping to be rescued along with the Canadian citizens. But as of that point, we hadn't heard a, gov- a, a clear decision from the Canadian government on what was going to happen next. But it sounds like time is of the essence and that they need to figure out what exactly is going to happen. Right. I mean, on the ground, it's it's um, I mean, it's simple for me to explain what has to happen and what is happening. It's devilishly difficult to make it happen on the ground. So, number one, you've got to get people into Kabul, into the into the capital, and then they have to make an appearance at the at the embassy with the correct paperwork filled out so that they can be registered. And then, subsequent to that, they will get on an, on an airplane, uh, whether that's a chartered airplane or a Canadian Forces airplane. Uh, it, it can be either. It doesn't really matter as long as it's. Uh, one that's destined for somewhere outside of Afghanistan. So the issue becomes that interior travel within Afghanistan, which is extremely difficult to organize from this distance, from Canada, 
and then finding them accommodations in Kabul, which are essentially safe houses so that they can avoid being uh, designated, if you will, and, and turned into targets for the Taliban internal to the city because they are capable of carrying out targeted assassinations inside of most of the major urban centers. It's almost impossible to, to stop that form of attack. So what the, the government program at the moment is uh, one of registration and, and uh, the responsibility is on, the onus is on each individual to get to Kabul. So there are a number of not-for-profit or I guess you'd call them public groups with many veterans in them helping uh, from this distance to pay for flights out of Kandahar or Herat or wherever it happens to be, get them into Kabul, find them safe houses, get them bedded down, and help them with the uh, required paperwork. That's the process that needs to be accelerated in order to make sure we get the bulk of these people out before it's too late. Should we fail to do that, then we have a further obligation, I believe, to come up with a follow-on plan plan, uh, that gets them outside of the country when there's no Canadian government presence in Kabul, so they can be processed by organizations such as the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. And with the latest information or with the news that the Taliban now is controlling more than two-thirds of the country, how big is the threat, do you think, that they could potentially take over Kabul? Um, Again, that would be speculative on my behalf. I don't think they can. I hearken back to the early days of the conflict in Afghanistan when we used to uh, refer to the president of Afghanistan as the mayor of Kabul because he essentially only controlled that piece of terrain in in the true sense of the word. And and just to be totally uh, upfront, I don't believe the Taliban controls two-thirds of the country. I believe the Taliban has created anarchy in two-thirds of the country. They may eventually wrest control and and impose their regime uh, little by little over time. But at this point in time, it's a... uh, it's a psychological war, and, they're, and they're, they are definitely winning it because they've got everybody uh, quite nervous. Kabul itself uh, should be relatively resilient. Uh, that's certainly the indications I get from people I know on the ground. Uh, but again, if the soldiers and policemen don't have confidence in their leadership, they could collapse just as quickly as some of the other uh, regions that we've seen to date. And when we take a look at what's happening and we look at the Taliban that is there right now, this group that uh, if we look back at a time when they appeared to be quite fragmented, is it the rebuilding and and do you think this is the same group or is it different what we're dealing with now? Well, the the Taliban's leadership, senior leadership is unified and presents a unified front and has a a very clever information operation uh, and they're very media savvy. Uh, but uh, it's it's quite decentralized on the ground. So to suggest that they're uh, operating towards a unified plan, I think is a bit of an exaggeration, uh, but they certainly are marching towards a unified vision, one that we wouldn't want to see reimposed on the people of Afghanistan and one that we raised their expectations that it wouldn't return, which furthers our obligation to get the people out that helped us to raise those expectations. Do you think we're getting the true picture of the level of danger and the urgency on the ground in Afghanistan? Uh, I'm not sure the public's getting this true picture, or even I have it, have it myself. I'm certain there are people uh, with access to classified information that have a better picture. Uh, what is clear is that in the the media war, if you will, the information war, that the Taliban definitely have the upper hand, and this uh, conflict 
is as much phys- uh, as much psychological as it is physical. All right. So we will continue watching what is happening there. But thank you so much for being available and for joining us today to talk more about this. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you for keeping it in the spotlight. Well, earlier today, we found out the federal government is going to implement mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations for all federal workers by the fall. They're also asking that federally regulated industries do the same thing. That's things like banks and airlines. So for federal employees, that's about 500,000 employees. Also an important number to take note of if you're playing the news quiz later on in the program. We wanted to talk a little bit more about what that means for people who are vaccinated and might have privacy concerns or for the people who can't be vaccinated. So joining me now is Mackenzie Irwin, an associate with Samfiro Tumarkin LLP. Mackenzie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Happy Friday. (laughs) Happy Friday, indeed. We are talking about the news out of Ottawa. Ottawa is going to require federal employees be vaccinated against COVID-19. The president of the Privy Council saying that it expects employers of federally regulated industries to do the same. Talking about uh, half a million people who work directly for the federal government. What is your response to this as as far as uh, an employer, a federal employer doing this? Yeah, well, I mean, this is something that we, you know, have seen coming down the pipeline for quite some time now. Um, I, I can't say that it's it's overly shocking. There is definitely that motivation there to, to make sure that everyone as uh, is as va- we have as many vaccines in people's arms as possible. And on top of that, they there is a really strong push to to make sure that that workplaces are safe. And so one of the ways that we know that we can do that is by um, by having the workforce vaccinated. So I think uh, it's it's definitely not shocking that they're they're stepping towards that mandatory vaccine, but um, but it, it has been you know it, it can come as a, quite a shock to some people. Are there any concerns about privacy, even if somebody is vaccinated, but say doesn't feel that they need to give their health information to their employer? Yeah, so, I mean, with this mandatory vaccination policy, there's definitely, employers are definitely going to need to revisit their um, their privacy um, policies and, and how they are, um, what, how they're keeping their employees' personal information secure and what uh, purposes they are using that, um, that information for. Um, there are various um, legislations throughout the provinces and nationally that, that um, re- that requires certain employers to take certain steps to make sure that that information is safe. Do you think that this would be something then, or, or how would it play out in that, say you are an employee in some faction, in some arm of the federal government, would it be that you then have to tell your boss or provide documents to your boss about your vaccination status for COVID-19, or would it be something that you would maybe do with HR. So it's not something that your boss knows about per se, but HR is in charge. Yeah, I can't speak to exactly how they're going to implement this uh, mandatory vaccination policy, but um, certainly they are going to need to, to be very cognizant of how they're collecting that information, to whom they're disclosing it to and, and how they're, they're securely keeping it. So I think it would make sense um, to have a, a point person for each workforce that uh, is responsible for collecting and um, 
keeping all of that information private. Um, but but I can't speak to exactly how they intend to to implement this policy. Right. D- is, is it something I know people will hear this in some cases and think that it's an invasion of privacy or that it's unprecedented. But we have been talking about this, whether it's some universities that have already decided to go that route. And somebody brought up the point the other day saying it's not unprecedented. There have been departments and universities say that require a tuberculosis vaccination. Uh, is it something as far as mandatory vaccine that we have seen in in, um, in workplaces before? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is necessarily, you know, having a mandatory vaccine policy is not necessarily unprecedented in the sense that we do require it for uh, various other vaccines in, as you mentioned, in education, uh, in our institutions there. But um, it is, it's unique uh, in the sense that, that it, um, it's now in, in the workforce as well. So um, it will, they're, they're going to have to be quite sensitive in, in how they're collecting, as I said, you know, how they're collecting it, how they're securing it, and, and what purposes they're using that information for. What about the small percentage of people that for either medical reasons or I guess for religious reasons, what about people that do believe they have a legitimate reason to not get a COVID-19 vaccination, say if someone's in that scenario and they work for the federal government? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to make it very clear that a mandatory vaccine policy, um, it will always be subject to certain exemptions. So by, by all means, if uh, those individuals, uh, there are many in Canada who have either religious or health reasons why um, they cannot take the vaccine, um, th- uh, these employers are going to need to give those, uh, those employees an exemption. Um, it's going to be um, a bit of a tricky balancing act in terms of what uh, exempt- exemptions are going to be honored. But um, there's certainly a human rights aspect here where um, the a mandatory vaccine policy cannot be applied, um, you know, full blanket to the entire work- workforce. There has to be those exemptions. Um, and, and again, it might be the uh, same thing where um, that certain uh, point person who's collecting the, the vaccine information and in the sensitive health information is also collecting the um, exemption information from their employees. We talked about this, I think it was yesterday, it may have been the day before, no, I think it was yesterday, uh, Dr. Bonning Henry in BC, this was before the, the federal announcement today, but Dr. Henry was asked about it, about specific businesses, if business owners could make that decision on their own, that their staff be vaccinated, and I suppose in some cases too, it would be staff, and if it was uh, something, say, in the service industry, people coming into the business vaccinated, and she said, absolutely, businesses are free to make that decision and free to bring in that policy if they choose uh, is that does it fall under kind of the same thing as far as uh, the federal government much bigger with half a million people working there uh, but we, do you think that we're going to see that or will there be any issues with smaller businesses business owners making that decision as you know as it stands right now i don't think that uh that it is uh, within a small business or an independently owned business um to kind of step beyond um, what the government has mandated um, and make ma- vaccines mandatory in their workplace. I think at this point, it, it, it is very um, indicative to see that both the BC uh, government for certain industries and the federal government have stepped up and announced a mandatory vaccine policy. But at this point, um, until the government actually mandates um, vaccines for, for other industries or for the general public, I don't think, you know, it's not within a a business's 
um, prerogative to go above and beyond that at this time. I think it's definitely indicative of, of a pattern. I think we might be moving in that direction, but we're not quite there yet. So if there's an employee in a business in that scenario where the business maybe has taken that step, do you think that they would have uh, something to stand on as far as if they were challenging it? Yeah, certainly. I think, um, you know, as it stands right now, obviously, you know, the federal government has announced today. So this is a very live topic and it's changing every day. But as it stands right now, the government haven't really mandated it for all industries. Um, and I think that's that's, you know, the, the individuals and the employees that are um, uh, that are subject to these mandatory vaccination policies outside of the industries that have are, have been mandated. Those those employees still, as it stands today, have would have a grounds for uh, a claim for constructive dismissal um, if that kind of a policy is is really enforced. All right. Like you said, things are changing every day. So we will be keeping on top of that. Mackenzie Irwin, thanks so much, though, for joining us today and talking about this. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your day.